Welcome, investigator. Evil is on the rise. Crime is escalating. Our mission is to eliminate the crime by exposing evil, examine why it manifests, and highlight the brave souls that confront it every day. Join us as we work together to bring justice to every victim. Welcome to All Things Crime. Here's your host, Jared Bradley. Well, I'll tell you one about a sad homicide. All right. Now, we were talking just about your, your recent district attorney friend from California. I think it was from California, you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next time you talk to him, ask him if, if they use this term, which were, uh, from what I understand, they use all over the it's news to me, but they use all over the nation now. It's a Bronx jury. Okay. So I'll tell you a little Bronx jury story. We had a, uh, I was actually, I wasn't a detective yet. I was an anti-crime at the time. And in anti-crime, basically, you're out to make gun arrests and you don't you don't you're not a slave to the radio. In other words, you don't have to answer the radio. But we happened to be on the on this block. It was Davidson Avenue. And we got a call and the call comes over the radio of a woman shot. All right. We happen to be like literally four or five buildings away from where this happened. Right. So we say, you know, five to anti-crime. We'll take that. You know, we ran over there. We we go up the stairs. And as we go up the stairs, it was only on the uh, uh, third floor. The music was very, very loud coming from this apartment. Not a good sign, right? And I was working with this fellow, Victor, at the time. And so, you know, we do the thing like we always do. You know, you unlock your guns. You're ready. Got your gun in your hand. I go and I touch the door and the door is opened. All right? Not a good sign again. So I push the door open slightly. All right? The music is blaring. We walk in and it was a long hallway that went down with rooms off to the right. Right? So we go, we go, we got our guns out. We go to the first room. All right. Nobody's in there. Next one, next one, next one. Nobody, nobody, nobody. We get down to the last room, which was one of the bedrooms. And there she is, this young woman. I believe she was 15 at the time. All right. Had been shot in the face. And what do you call it? Well, actually, she had been shot in the head. What had happened was these other drug dealers had come and did a robbery of her boyfriend and her boyfriend's roommate, who were also drug dealers. Okay. And it had been very obvious that they were looking for drugs and for money. And they had tortured these two fellas. One was dead on the floor. He had been shot in the back of the head. The other one, they had tortured first because they had wrapped his entire face from from his hairline to his chin in duct tape so he couldn't breathe. All right. Mm. And they had shot him like three or four times. But something that that you'll know when your your forensic people will like to know is that he was laying on the bed. And although he had been shot several times and his face was wrapped up, he was obviously survived for a while because his heart continued to beat and pumped out so much blood that it soaked through the mattress and through the box spring onto the floor below. And I mean, there was a puddle, maybe three, four feet around of blood underneath the bed that it all soaked through the bed and gotten down to the floor below. So he had survived for a while after being duct taped and shot. Now, this poor girl... They had shot her in the head. They'd put the gun right up against her temple and pulled the trigger. But guns do strange things. Our bullets do strange things. And so what had happened was it it traveled down the side of her face, went through her mouth, took out a couple of teeth here, came out her mouth on the other side, okay, and left, I don't know, three or four teeth and a bunch of gums, you know, gum tissue were actually sitting on the, the pillow next to where they had shot her. So how long she was unconscious you know, before she made the phone call, I don't know, but she was able to get the words out and, you know, have us arrive. So long story short, you know, we do our crime scene stuff, all the detectives from the squad come, we sweep through all of that. And now it's, you know, I don't know, a year, maybe 18 months later. Okay. And we're sitting in court. 
And through all of this stuff, we'd all done our different testimony. I had gotten up as being first on the scene. I described the crime scene. I described everything that happened. And for whatever reason, they had tried all of these defendants separately. Okay. One guy immediately took a plea. Okay. Another guy uh, didn't take a plea right away, which hurt him because if you take a plea right away, quite often they don't hammer you. If this trial starts, the judge is mad at you. So he hits you a little bit harder. Right. He ended up playing once the trial had started. Okay. And then the shooter, the actual trigger man, okay, did not take a plea and was acquitted by the jury after all of that. After my, our testimony, all the police testimony, the little girl who got up, who's now like only 16, possibly 17 years old, came from her safe house in upstate New York that she was staying in because they had sequestered her away, you know, for like a year and a half because she couldn't live in that neighborhood anymore. And after all of that, they acquitted him. Why? Because the police framed him. That was his whole thing, that the police framed him, which we did not. The other two testified against him. The, the young woman was able to identify him. But the Bronx jury was so anti-police that they said, we'll let him go. Wow. Yeah. So there was three of them total. Right. Three they of them They went total. in there, what? And you, you said it was a drug hit? Yes. They were, they were stealing drugs from the other guys, drugs and money. Okay. And in order to get what they wanted, they tortured well, they, they killed, they may have killed the one guy immediately. They tortured the other guy, you know, and then probably tortured her too. I don't know, but, you know, determined to, decided to get rid of her so that she wouldn't be a witness, shot her in the head, you know, and, and here it was in the end, the jury. And like I say, your, your, some of your uh, district attorney friends may be familiar with that term, a bronze jury, which was who knows how long ago that was coined, but it's used all over the place, meaning we're not going to win this case, pal. When it's, mm. you know, that's what they call it, a bronze jury. I mean, forensically, well, w w when did this happen? 90s? Oh, geez, this would have been 93, maybe, okay. in mm. there. So, you know, forensically, we didn't, I, and I know, you know, you were, you were our main DNA guy, right? But that really didn't play in to our stuff back then. Yeah. It was still very, very new, yeah. you know? No, so. DNA back then was just, I mean, basically, you were just looking for blood types kind of thing. But, Correct. you know, touch DNA, you know, DNA off of shell casings and weapons, you know, yeah. back then. It oh, but here we had three eyewitnesses. You know, we had his two, his yeah. two partners yeah. who ratted him out, you know, and the victim herself. Yeah. And they were, he was still acquitted. Wow. Well, so once this guy's acquitted, what did he do? Do you, do you have any idea? Now, rumor has it, and I don't know if it's true. Most of these guys end up, you know, we get to know them somewhat personally. And from what I understand, and I don't know if it's the truth, but this is a rumor, he was actually killed by somebody else like three years later. And mm. it had come back to me. Hey, you remember that guy? Blah, 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 blah. Yep. They got him. You know, meaning somebody else had taken, taken care of business for us. So, mm. But it was well, a sad state. You think about how many lives were destroyed from that, though. You know, it's like. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And then, well, that's the thing with drugs, too, Jared, that people don't realize is, you know, how drugs really ravage, absolutely ravage neighborhoods, you know? And I've said this before, you know, on other podcasts and things too, where people, when I'm explaining it, you know, it's, it's not, people want to do drugs. Americans want to do drugs. There's no getting around that. All right. And that's going to be the, the, part, the hardest part of stopping drugs is that people want to do them. But now here you are, you know, a decent fellow and you're living in a, a simple building in New York City or, you know, anywhere in the country. And you have, I don't know, maybe you live in a, a 20 family building, you know, there's 20 apartments in your building. It only takes one to decide they're going to start selling drugs out of that building to destroy your building. Because right now you have every asshole in the neighborhood showing up 
to buy drugs at all different hours of the day with your children and your wife walking in and out of there every day. And you might be big, hard, tough, you know, all-American veteran guy, but what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Because they know who you are. They know where you live. They know that your children are there. They know that your wife is there. What in the world are you going to do? You kind of just got to suck it up, right? Now you take that same block, okay, where that one building is, and another drug spot opens down the block. So now maybe you got a heroin spot, and now you got a crack spot over on the other side. Bang. Now the drug activity is doubled, you know? And people don't realize, too, that there may be, you know, I don't know, 5,000 people live on this block, let's just say, okay? Because New York City, again, is a big place and there's big buildings. There's a lot of people that live there, okay? And you have literally, okay, in these two drug gangs, maybe two dozen people ruining 5,000 lives. Mm -hmm. That's how how little it takes to destroy a neighborhood. And then you have neighborhoods in the Bronx, in Los Angeles, in Chicago, Baltimore, Philadelphia, where, I mean, the drug spots, 194th Street back in, in the 90s, all right? between uh, uh, Webster Avenue and Valentine Avenue, all right? It's only about a four or five block stretch. I mean, there were 10 different drug spots right there, okay? And on the offshooting blocks, if you added them all up, you know, going a block in either direction off 194th Street, there were probably 20 drug spots, okay? And all the different, you know, violence, guns, uh, brutality that went along with that, this was directly across the street from Fordham University, one of the greatest schools, not in New York City, in the country. It's a very serious, you know, you know, Fordham University, it's a very serious school. Right across the street, 194th Street, Webster, going up. Now, me and my partner encountered one time, and we probably were off because we probably missed some. And it was something ridiculous, like in a five-year period where there were like 15, 16 shootings and eight homicides, okay, in this little three, four block area. You know, how do you live like that? And again, most people are decent people. You know, 90% of the world's population are decent people. It's just this very few that ruin it for everybody else, you know, but it's so concentrated. I remember during the crack, the height of the crack epidemic, there was a block in Washington Heights that was supposedly more dangerous than Beirut at the time. You know, that was when all the Marine Corps stuff was going on in in Lebanon, you know? Yeah, the Marine Corps barracks, like the bombing and stuff over there. Yeah, but it would have been it was it was statistically more dangerous to walk down this block in Washington Heights in Manhattan. All right. than it was to take a trip to Beirut. You know, if you want to play the the, the numbers games, it's crazy. You know, I mean, places like, you know, you get around a lot with your job. You you travel all over the place. I mean, when you go down to, to Philadelphia, Philadelphia is the poorest large city in America. Beautiful, physically a beautiful city, I think. You know, there's a lot of things I like about Philly. But my God, the crime that is going on down there now, Baltimore, Baltimore has been lost for, as a whole, Baltimore has been lost for decades, man. Oh, I got to tell you a little story about Baltimore. It's so heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, please. So I went to a conference in uh, Baltimore a few years ago, and this is before COVID. So it had to be in actually four or five years ago now. And we're right there at the convention center, right downtown, right where the, the harbor is, you know, and you got the USS Constitution right there. You know, that old warship, for those of you that don't know. And I mean, it's a very touristy area. And that, that's like the cream of the crop for Baltimore. And that's kind of w- w- the area that we were in. Well, me and this um, girl that was next to me in the booth next to me, 
we decided, Hey, you know what? There's a, there's supposed to be a, a Italian restaurant just a few blocks away. Let's just walk over there and get some lunch. So on the, by the, and literally three blocks. So this is three blocks away from the best part of Baltimore. You would think that the, you know, the, the city fathers of, of Baltimore would make sure that that area was as safe as could possibly be. I saw, I mean, there was one guy that was literally urinating in a, in a garbage can. He just pulled his pants down and was like going to the bathroom right there on the street in front of everybody. And, you know, we weren't the only people on the street. Here we are walking along and we're business people visiting from, you know, other areas of the country at this huge conference, huge forensics conference. And I mean, we're looking at it and I'm like, holy crap. And this is like within a block away from the nicest, the best tourist area. I'm like, I can't imagine you go five more blocks into the city of Baltimore, what that would have been like. And well, I'm happy for you. It was only, you only caught a guy urinating, you know, I well, there were, there were, yeah, there are multiple alleyways and stuff like that, where you look down there and you're like, Oh, they don't care. Whatever's going down there. I don't want, I don't want anything to do with it. Yep. No, it's, it's very sad. I had a, uh, not a similar incident or a different incident in Philly. I was in Philadelphia. We were doing a thing called the Philly FM Fest. It was a big musical fest where they had, it was a great, great idea. And they did it two years in a row. It was like 70 different venues all over the city, had shows at the same time. You could buy one pass, but it entitled you to go anywhere. It was kind of like the Northeast version of South by Southwest, which takes place in Austin, Texas, if you've ever been. And so I was at a show down there and I stepped outside to get a little bit of air. And just as I step outside, you know, fella, maybe about 35 years old, comes walking around the corner with a gun in his hand. I'm like, oh, shit, right? And he goes right around the corner, and he sets himself up in a doorway. Like, you know, for, your, for the people I can see, you know, uh, like this. He kind of set himself in the doorway. So people who are just listening, he, he fit himself so he wouldn't be seen by anybody walking down the block, but was inside the door with a pistol in his hand. Now, I know right away this guy's up to no good, Right. He's going to rob somebody or more likely possibly even be doing, looking to shoot somebody because of just his whole stance and everything about it. Like a fool, I immediately try to get everybody off the street into the bar, but that wasn't a good idea because everybody wants to know why I'm trying to do this, right? I get on my cell phone, <laughs> call 911, I explain what's happening, okay? Police show up, boom, boom. I mean, they were there in 12, 15 seconds after the phone call, they show up. Bad guy steps out. Tosses his gun underneath the car and starts walking towards me back up, you know, back up the block. I was, of course, armed, you know, take my gun out. Oh, you're not going anywhere, pal. Get on the floor. I get him laid down. The police come, lock him up, take, take his gun, whatever. In Philadelphia, it's only a misdemeanor to have an illegal gun. OK, so it's not that big of a deal. But this guy had had numerous priors before. So they were going to, you know, try to try to get him out of conviction. I went. What was it? Probably it could have been. Definitely over a year later, I actually went to the trial, all right? They could not believe that I showed up. And coming from the Bronx, which was an upside-down place, okay, I was actually surprised at how, do I want to say poorly? Because I don't know the inner workings, but just what a mess their court system was, okay? Mm. Obviously, again, way, 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 way overworked, you know? But not able to handle the volume that they were doing. Our turn came up, came up, and... You know, they, the judge says, you know, is the defendant here? Yes, judge. Do we have the witness available? I stood up and I said, yes, ma'am. You know, and the guy turned around and he said, guilty. He pled guilty right away. Again, because if it had gone to trial, 
he would have got hit harder, but it was only a misdemeanor, which is what shocked me. One of the best things we had ever done, of course, they don't, they don't follow these rules in New York City anymore, but back in our time, they had wised up and made any illegal firearm an automatic one year, a felony with an automatic one year in jail, and the judges could not, not impose that, you know? And it was the best thing they ever did because it, it made it so, so much more costly to be running around the streets with guns, you know, because you knew you were going to go to jail if you got caught. Thanks for joining us. Your attention today brings us one step closer to exposing and eliminating the evil that brings crime to our communities. Hit subscribe and share this episode. Together, we will bring justice to every victim.